On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Elisa Stamps and Casey Jarvis about authenticity, generational trauma, and therapy modalities to help you heal. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have two people, everyone. We have Casey Jarvis, and we have Elisa Stamps. How are you both? Hey, doing fantastic. How are you? I'm good for everyone. That's Casey right there, and Elisa? Hi, so good to be here again. Thanks for having us. So uh, Lisa is back. You will remember her from an episode that we did on gaslighting because Lisa had a, a gaslighting journal and workbook that came out. And for those that are new to the program, don't know either of you. Uh, Casey Jarvis is a licensed marriage family therapist and you use in multiple approaches, uh, including object relations, relational Bowenian, and internal family systems, and mindfulness. Annalisa Stamps is a licensed clinical social worker, and you use gestalt therapy in the, inter- in the internal family systems therapy model as well. You are also the host of a podcast called Am I the Crazy One? I was a guest on that, and, yeah. and I got to talk. So everyone who's uh, listening, if you want to learn more about me, go listen to their podcast. And today we are going to talk about authenticity. We're going to discuss a few different types of therapy modalities that both of you use, because I think it is important that people see different types of modalities that can be helpful for therapy and not every type of therapy like CBT works for everyone. And I just want people to see how different types of therapies can actually work or different types of modalities can actually work. And when it comes to authenticity, uh, before I ask you questions about that, when it comes to our survivor story episodes, part of what we do is we show a bit about the victim, why certain manipulation tactics work on them. Was the person codependent before? Were they a people pleaser? Or are these things created within the relationship? Or maybe you don't even believe that these things were created in the relationship. And it could have been generational trauma and toxic traits that might have been handed down, even though there might not have been trauma from their parents, but their parents' parents could have given something to them. So... Uh, eventually within these relationships, a lot of the time the victim is not themselves anymore and they could be a people pleaser times a thousand. They've been manipulated so badly that they are really just not recognizable to other people, especially to themselves, because a lot of conforming has been going on. They've been put into a box. They're, they're, they're voiceless. They've made themselves very, very small. So the authentic version of them is gone, completely gone. So let's start my questioning about authenticity in the family, actually, if one is to grow up with the narcissistic family dynamic. When does the authenticity stop in this type of household? And when does the false self start to show up uh, as a means to survive? I'll take that one if that's okay to start, just because, um, you know, 
my specialty area is working with, you know, narcissistic family systems. And then Casey always has amazing things to say. So jump in at any time. Um, I, I don't think that the authentic self maybe is ever there until there is this sort of separation and unemmeshment with the narcissistic parent and also the narcissistic family system because the child's role from kind of day one is to serve the emotional needs sometimes the physical needs of the parents so you know autonomy is not encouraged boundaries are not encouraged sometimes you know you're simply there just to please the parents so you kind of begin to learn how to morph yourself into whatever it is they're looking for so that you can then, you know, keep yourself safe, get some sort of validation, get some sort of love. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think it's often till, till later on that people, when they're really doing this heavy emotional work, really are able to find their true authentic selves. Mm -hmm. My experience, there are, bits and pieces of an authentic self, such as the part of that child that goes, ouch, like that comment really hurt or ouch, like that I'm feeling really self-conscious or, or maybe picked on, uh, but it gets squashed by the dynamics in that narcissistic family system. And so the, the authentic self doesn't really get to blossom. It gets that down yeah so part of our work i think elisa you would agree with this um is helping clients to self-validate those parts that went that once a long time ago went ouch <laughs> like yeah. that was a legit valid feeling yeah so we do a lot of work with what we call in ifs the exiled parts which are usually the childhood parts that carry this kind of ouch, pain, trauma. Um, and that work can be just so healing for, you know, people that have had this kind of relational, emotional, and narcissistic abuse. So explain to me a little bit about how the internal family system type of therapy works and how you apply it. Yeah, so we talk in this language all the time, right? A part of me really wanted to be on this podcast today, and then a part of me was really scared to do it. So the work that I do is we kind of go inside the client's um, you know, own internal worlds. We get to know different parts of self, the parts that have protected us, the parts that are the, what I said, called the exiles that carry a lot of the pain, carry a lot of the trauma. And we're going to go inside, we're going to begin to see them, hear them, invite them to tell us their stories, and then hopefully uh, begin an unburdening process and healing process for these parts. So it's really, um, it's kind of wacky, like woo-woo kind of work. And, and I'll be the first to say when I, you know, first heard about this modality, I was like, you have got to be kidding me with this. But then I saw it in action. I've experienced my own um, therapy work with an IFS therapist, and it's really profound the kind of impact that this can have on folks. I was going to say, I like to think of it as reparenting. Yes. Um, so I don't use the approach that exclusively, but when I use it, um, 
you know, it's meant to, to help the client give those wounded, traumatized parts of themselves what the kind of parenting that they needed their actual parents to give them and didn't get. They learned to, in other words, love themselves. You know, a, a, a question I have, um, a long time ago, I took something called the Hoffman Process. And they were trying to get you to take care of your inner child. And like, it was a whole kind of thing. And one of the questions I had at the end, besides, I had two questions. The first one was, is this a cult? And, (laughs) and, And the second one was, it feels like, I'm erasing myself that if I go full on into what you are asking of me and that you are teaching me to do, that I don't exist anymore as a person. And I had a lot of trouble wrapping my head around that because who am I? What is authentic about me? And if you're never authentic from the moment you're born, how do you go back and then become a person again? And that was so scary to me. Do you encounter this, especially when there's resistance around dealing with things? And how do you deal with that when someone wants to be authentic, but there's so many parts of you that you might lose and it's just scary. Yeah. I mean, something that I always tell folks is that the parts are never going to go away. What we're really working on is unblending with these parts that kind of hijack things. Like let's take a manager part, let's say, um, that has the characteristics of an inner critic. It can feel a lot like that's just me. I'm just mean to myself. I'm just shameful to myself. Well, what we're going to try and do is unblend with that part that's really overwhelming the system so that the self energy, I think of it as the true heart center and um, self possesses all these great eight C words, things like connectedness, curiosity, clarity, clarity, courage, right? We're going to bring that forward so that going forward, we can really, um, you know, tell when we're in that self energy or when a part is kind of overtaking things and we can begin to meet these parts of self with curiosity and with compassion rather than anger, frustration, you know, even more shame, even more self-abuse, even more self-gaslighting. I hear you. It's, it is scary work. I think this is really scary work um, and, and very hard work to really bring forth this true self that, you know, has been waiting in the wings, so to speak. I don't know. Casey, do you have mm-hmm. other? I love the word unblending because it's, it's like, I think you discover more aspects of yourself when you realize, hey, there's this managing part of me that wants me to people please and deny myself that I'm really pissed off. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like letting yourself be more than you thought you could be 
So in that moment, when the managing part comes in, they're, they're overlapping the part of you that has a real feeling and they become blended and you, the, the feeling actually, the authentic feeling actually kind of gets lost in it. Yeah. I, what I love about it too, is that the therapist role is really just, I, I think of myself as serving as the guide, the observer. Uh, perhaps bringing things to people's awareness around patterns and connections of patterns. And as a Gestalt therapist, we adore resistance. So when that's in place, I always say like, great, because it gives us information. And that's a, you know, that's a way to keep ourselves safe. So let's honor resistance always. And when you're in a relationship with an abuser, Sometimes people come into these relationships and they have no trauma. They don't come from chaos. Uh, so do you see this in your practice where someone um, had all of these things happen within the relationship where they became inauthentic? And how do you help them unravel that? Here's where me being more oriented toward object relations comes through. Um, I have clinically, in my clinical opinion, I have a hard time wrapping my head around where somebody attracts a person that in no way, shape, or form resembles something from earlier life experiences. So, you know, attachment's a really buzzy word, right? Like attachment styles, like... One of the aspects of attachment theory is that people who are more securely attached, um, they attached securely to their early objects, that's the connector there with object relations, they automatically repel people who are not as securely attached. You know, so if somebody, if they encounter somebody that uh, makes them feel icky, they are a lot more likely to just kind of bounce off that person unconsciously and get out of there. If you, if you are attaching to somebody who is not securely attached, who is avoidant, for instance, that'd be more the narcissist. They're avoidantly, they're, they're insecurely attached and they're avoidant of, um, of that vulnerability, right? If you're latching on to them, where in my clinical mind does that feel familiar from an early childhood attachment object for you? Why would you even fit in to a, a dynamic without there being at least a threat or two of familiarity with uh, losing your authentic self to please another person? I don't think you enter into these kinds of relationships if you haven't had some sort of relational trauma, big T or little T here, yeah. somewhere along the line. I just, I just can't buy that that happens just out of the blue or accidental. Well, we had an episode in August. I can't remember off the top of my head everyone's name because I, I talked to a lot of people. And this person was, came from a home with no 
trauma. And the one thing that they did inherit was an unhealthy trait from their mom. And their mom bent over backwards to help everyone. And there was no abuse in the family, nothing. It was just, that's what the mom did. So she learned that she should bend over backwards to help people. That was just what was modeled for her. Admirable, but an unhealthy trait. And it wasn't fully the trait that uh, did this person in, but it was a contributor along the line. And the biggest contributor of this was they really wanted to help people in the um, lower income neighborhoods, kids that were not well off. And they wanted to work in, in that. And then they found someone who was um, came from that type of neighborhood. And then that person called them out as being an imposter. And that made them want to bend over backwards to prove that they weren't an imposter. So there were these kind of setups there, but that one trait, which didn't come from trauma per se was the undoing of them because they saw that their mom did that. So I don't know if that makes sense, but is that would be a small, would that be considered a small trauma or a small, like unhealthy trait, toxic trait? Yeah. I mean, in Gestalt, we call those creative adjustments, um, you know, rather than like a maladaptive behavior or something. And I, I think so. And I also think there's the lack of modeling and boundaries too, right? We're talking about a parent that didn't model boundaries well. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, Casey. Oh, sorry. I got overexcited. You didn't finish your thought. Go ahead. (laughs) I was going to, all I was going to add in was, you know, I'd be curious about any intergenerational trauma around that and like the, you know, what the trickle down of that might have done perhaps to that person but go ahead that's totally what i was thinking too and as well when we model uh, a lack of boundaries we're also communicating um there are inherent messages in that about negative consequences that may come if you are authentic to yourself AKA setting boundaries. So as mom is bending over backwards at her own expense all the time, she's simultaneously communicating. And if I don't do this, whatever, I will be rejected, disapproved of. And um, there's also the possibility that they instill some of those fears into the child being upset if that child doesn't bend over backwards for them and so in in my mind what you've shared does sound like a small t trauma and some probably whether they were identified or not some beliefs about what it could mean if you're if you um what what negative a consequence what negative attachment consequences there are how you might lose somebody if you're authentic with yourself. Yeah. 
I think I think we identified during the episode that there was perfectionism. And I guess a lot with perfectionism would be, well, if this doesn't get done this way or done like that, the world will fall apart or things along those lines. Oh, this is so Elisa's shtick right here. Uh, totally her world. <laughs> what saying, Casey? Um, no, I, here's what I, I love Brene Brown's description of perfectionism. I have never heard it explained better than the way Brene does it. She calls it the 200-pound shield, that it has nothing to do with healthy striving, that it is more about a protection, right? It's it's a defense mechanism so that we don't ever disappoint, so that we are not ever disappointed. And, um, you know, it's a part. It's a manager part that's trying to help protect us by doing, you know, making certain that everything is perfect. And I'm using quotes because... We know there's really no such thing. So for everyone out there who is wanting to become a more authentic version of themselves because they've just really been surviving their family life or their relationships, and I say surviving because everything that's been going on is, is a survival technique, I guess when you become inauthentic. In, in uh, so when you bring survivors into your practice, what are your goals? Do you have goals? And how can those who can't afford therapy go about becoming their authentic self? Yeah, I mean, I think that is my goal for folks. And again, it's, you know, I don't ever want to make it my agenda for the client, but it is just to help them find their voice, find their true authentic self, find things that really resonate with them and learning how to be curious and compassionate to ourselves versus, you know, um, abusive on that pattern of abuse within ourselves um you know so that's really where i come from in just my thoughts and serving folks hmm. yeah, it feels like a loaded question like what's my goal in terms of authenticity you know um and advice for people who are not able to access therapy how they can be more authentic for me, it always starts with noticing. If nothing else, it's noticing. So if you're somebody who can't access therapy, can you at least notice when you're people-pleasing and, and keep taking that a step further? Ask yourself, once you've noticed you've people-pleased, why? Can you identify a core fear that you have as to what would happen if you express yourself or set this boundary, ask for this thing, and maybe even challenge that a little bit for yourself. If you're not in therapy working, you know, with a therapist, you know, what's the fear? Am I going to lose this person? Are they not going to want me? And then ask yourself if you would lose them for expressing yourself. Is that really an ideal person to have a friendship or a relationship with? Can you be willing to lose somebody who can't tolerate you being your authentic self? Because if you're not willing to lose the person, you're probably less likely to try out being your authentic self. Yeah, such good advice. You know, and also there's so many resources out there now, too. 
you know, this podcast, our, our podcast, um, you know, various books, YouTube, you know, just be mindful of your resources that you go to. But um, there is so much more out there now, too. And and don't be afraid. Also, if you find a therapist that seems like a good fit, don't be afraid to ask them. You know, a lot of therapists, myself included, have like sliding scale fees or will make price adjustments um, or give people a super bill, like a monthly invoice to submit to their insurance. Don't be afraid to ask those questions either. That's that's great practice for really finding your voice and becoming your own advocate. So this question is for the parents out there, the people that are co-parenting with someone who is not cooperative. And for them, they're dealing with a child who is going into a chaotic situation. A lot of times the other parent might be manipulative and they might have coping mechanisms that are unhealthy on, on the other side. So how do you help that child be the most authentic version uh, of themselves that they can be when they are they are with you or even when they aren't with you when they go into that home how do you get them um to 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 be authentic without forcing the situation or or telling them what to do because th- that again would be inauthentic if that's what's going on so i guess do you have any um really helpful advice for people that are going through this for me a few things. One, do not overcompensate for that other parent's unhealthy parenting style by overindulging or um, having a lack of boundaries, because that's not doing anything to build your kid's sense of self. Really good point. I get the temptation, but I hear a lot about that um, with my clients. So a lot of people who have like divorced narcissists, like they'll, they'll sort of talk about this. Another thing is be that parent. At least they have a parent who can be compassionate and lovingly set boundaries. Some some place of safety. You can't control it all, but you can be one source of safety as long as it's not coddling, gone unbridled, you know? And I, I think for those of us that, you know, are in recovery from narcissistic abuse, it's really important to look at our own possible narcissistic cluster B traits and really just be mindful of, um, you know, how we're saying things to our kid and hopefully giving them the space, the safe space to come to us and, and be able to tell us, you know, I really didn't like what you said. Or, you know, if you're my my daughter the other day literally put her head into her shirt thinking that would avoid the conversation but like there was her authentic self and I was so um I don't know we just could have a a laugh at it too and you know making certain that you're raising a child that is who they are and not who you expect them to be can I add one thing to what on top of what you're saying um, when you said that you notice your daughter's authentic self coming through, it feels like you celebrated that. Whereas, you know, sometimes when we're met with off-putting behaviors from kids, the inclination is to correct it, get them in line. Um, that's super important. If you have one unhealthy parent in the picture, 
then at least like, please embrace your kids behavior and be curious about what's going on for them. Don't squash their authentic self by saying, no, you're not allowed to feel that way or act that way. Or even worse, if you're so upset with that unhealthy parent, don't overshadow that kid's feelings with your own feelings about that parent. Take it out of the equation. Make it just about them. So before we end off the show, uh, both of you, tell everyone what is going on with you, about your practice, your podcast, everything in between. And Casey, you take it away first. What I have going on is continuing to take on clients. I primarily work with clients who have dealt with narcissistic abuse in romantic relationships. Um, You know, if you're feeling like at a crossroads or if you're recovering from a relationship like that, I'm accepting new clients virtually. I'm exclusively virtual for people in Pennsylvania only um, because that's where I'm licensed. Uh, You can find the links to our podcast and to my professional website on Instagram, Casey Jarvis LMFT. That's my um, name on Instagram. And my website, CaseyJarvisTherapy.com. And wait, Casey, you have to say the name of our podcast because you say it the best. Am I the crazy one? Yeah. Great. Like people actually say it to themselves. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can find me on Instagram as well. I mainly work with adult children of narcissists as well as folks struggling with disordered eating and body image. Um, so I'm elisastamps.therapist on Instagram. My website is elisastamps.com. And I don't know, Casey, can I share that we might be, we had a little chat, not, you know, the other week about maybe starting an interesting kind of group together. Yes. Oh my gosh, please. Yeah. Yeah. So we thought of like this, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. We're still workshopping it, but maybe like um, kind of a therapeutic book club kind of thing where we pick a book, we go through it all together as a group, but then you get to really discuss it with two clinical professionals. Um, But, you know, somewhere in the cluster B narcissistic abuse kind of realm we were thinking. So that's in the works possibly. Yes. It's like a book club on steroids. Thank you very much, both of you, for for being here, uh, sharing with us today. You're going to help a lot of people. So a big, big thank you uh, to both of you for being here. Thanks Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you once again for being here and everything that Casey and Elisa just mentioned will be in our show notes, so you'll be able to find them everywhere. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Please do read all of the instructions on our Guest Form page. And either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please send everything in the format that we ask for. Also at our website, we have our very own support group. So if you need support and you need support from your peers, from other survivors like you, please do join our support group. It's a great group of people inside. There we have support group meetings on Zoom every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, and Saturday night. 
We have forum boards for you to uh, post on to discuss what's going on and for your for the other survivors to, to really be there and validate your experience and support you. We have episodes that never made it to air. We have ad-free episodes as well on there. So please, if you need support, join our support group. It's a great group of people that are ready to support you there who are just like you. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. At domesticshelters.org, they have articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you have been going through. They have every phone number, website address, and email address for shelters and agencies, domestic violence agencies and domestic violence shelters. Uh, No matter how big or small your town is, domesticshelters.org has everything there. It's a great organization. And that is it for today's episode. So big thank you from myself, from Elisa, from Casey, and we hope you have a good night.